father, you know, so that's who I am. <laughs> awesome. Sorry, microphone. I'll move away from you before I knock you over. COVID-19 certainly dominated this year, hasn't it? In fact, it feels like it's controlled so much of our lives, and I don't know about you, but we all have stories, I think, of what's happened to us during this year, and for some people, it's been really devastating, hasn't it? And Jill and I have certainly found it disruptive and frustrating and all the things that you guys feel too, but I'm thankful we haven't had the pain and the suffering that a lot of people have been going through in this time with job losses and, and sickness of their own, etc. In fact, probably I would have to admit that probably it's been mostly inconvenience for me. Anyone else want to admit that? And um, in fact, the, the greatest thing that impacted us personally was that we had a four-week trip to Australia and Norfolk Island, all planned, you know, exciting, and we left right at the beginning of March when there was just one case of COVID-19 in New Zealand. And, uh, but then suddenly, you know, we had to stop our trip and, and suddenly try and come home, but from rural Tasmania, that was quite tricky. And it was a real mission because I remember spending hours trying to get phone connections and you couldn't even get through, and then the internet was you know, as it often is, just doesn't work properly and the thing just spins and you're trying to rebook planes and get accommodation and try and get home, you know. And uh, we were relieved when we finally got back to Hobart because then we could catch a plane from Hobart to Sydney and then back home to Christchurch. And so we arrived at our pre-booked, pre-paid-for accommodation and we're booking in and then someone came out to me and said, sir, I'm sorry, you can't stay in this hotel. And I said, sorry, I'm... I've booked into this hotel. They said, so you can't stay here. you not not Australian. You don't belong here. You're, you're from overseas. And I said, yeah, I'm, I've been here for 12 days driving around your island and you're having a lovely time. I'm sorry, so you can't stay here. And I said, but I'm booked. He said, oh, we'll give you your money back. And I said, but that's not the point. What do I do? And by this time, three other people had ganged up behind the counter as well, actually. You know, this man's going to cause us a problem, I think they thought. I was being very calm, I thought. And I said, what do I do? And they said, well, that's not our problem, sir. And uh, so someone else then said, here's a list of a few other hotels. Go and see if you can find something. And, and uh, you please have to leave now, sir. So I, I sort of walked out of the... Couldn't believe it, thinking, I feel like a criminal. I've done nothing wrong. I'm, I'm trying to get home, and I've spent all my money in your lovely little, you know, your island. And, and here we went, and we were being treated, thrown out on the street. Orphans. I was thinking... This is awful, an unknown city, you know, no mercy and no grace. And so, anyways, it's a longer story, but an amazing set of circumstances. We ended up in this lovely small boutique apartment hotel in Hobart for the night, not on their list, by the way. And when the owner heard the story of what had happened to me, he said, those guys are idiots. I think he might have used a few Australian words in there as well, but... <laughs> They interpreted the rules completely wrong. You know, that's just, that's unbelievable. And uh, really what was most unbelievable for us was that he didn't charge us at all for that night's accommodation and that lovely apartment. By the time I get, got home at midnight on the Wednesday, the 18th of March it was, the whole world was going crazy, including little old New Zealand, wasn't it? And, you know, and we had, of course had our self-isolation there and then... A little bit later, we all went into lockdown for those numbers of weeks. So, you know, with all this going on around the world, we can start to wonder, is everything getting out of control? And Psalm 46, verse 6, puts it like this. The nations 
are in chaos and their kingdoms crumble. That's a bit of a gloomy thought, isn't it? I mean, what's happening? Has God given up on us? Has he abandoned the world? And we can begin to despair like people with no hope or people that haven't got any faith in God. But right throughout this same psalm, there are some wonderful faith-building and hope-boosting thoughts which help put our minds and our hearts at ease and get us back on the right track. And you find here in in, in Psalm 46, even verse 1, it says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Anyone been in trouble before? Verse 7, the Lord Almighty is with us. Verse 10, he says, be still. Know that I am God. That's a great thing, isn't it? And listen to this one. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I want to remind us this morning, God has not abandoned this world. He hasn't given up on us. Do you agree with me this morning? He hasn't abdicated his rule. In fact, God is still on his throne. The little book at the beginning, sorry, the little book near the end, not the beginning, near the end of the Old Testament called Habakkuk. The prophet Habakkuk is complaining and moaning to the Lord. No one here ever does that, I'm sure. Telling, talking about all the injustices and all the problems he sees in the world. And he's almost accusing God of turning a blind eye or at least a deaf ear to all that's going on around about him. And after Habakkuk has finished complaining, this is what God says, and it's in Habakkuk 1 verse 5. He says, look at the nations and watch. Be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Wow. I think it's easy sometimes, like, Habakkuk to get weighed down with all the troubles and the magnitude of the world's problems right now and even the everyday issues and difficulties we face in our own lives and our families, but we have this limited human perspective, don't we? It can seem like a chaotic mess all around us, but God sees the whole picture. He sees the pattern. He sees a plan, and God is doing something, I believe, in these days which we wouldn't even believe if we were told. He's still on his throne. And in the midst of heartache and trouble and catastrophe, he's working and he's moving and he's changing lives right around this world. You may not even know this. I want to encourage us this morning, but right now his church is advancing right around the world. In fact, it's growing faster than the population is growing. Not not the numbers of people, but the percentage of people turning to Christ today is a higher percentage than those that are being born today. That's great. Today we have about 35% of the world who are called Christian. And many countries that are considered closed, for example, Afghanistan, not lots of Christians, but at the moment, The Christian church in Afghanistan is growing four times faster than the population growth. Iran is estimated today to have one million Christians in it. Africa, which was the darkest place one time, is now the largest population of Christians in the whole world. Many nations in Africa are seeing many thousands come to know Jesus. Of course, we know something about what God's doing in Laos and in Thailand, where up before, unreached people groups are being reached for Jesus, which is wonderful. And we know if I'm Mozambique, don't we, where the unreached group, the, the uh, Koti, were reached, and then they in turn are going to another unreached group called the Mwani. It's wonderful. And over all this, often, is taking place in the midst of persecution 
intensely, but also with great healings and miracles being reported. You won't hear about it on the six o'clock news. You won't read it on stuff. You won't hear it on News Hub. If you're lucky, you might hear about it on some uh, social media amongst all the rubbish that's there. But the Holy Spirit is working behind the scenes. Almost if it's in secret. God is up to something on planet Earth. Don't you agree? He hasn't abandoned us. He's still on the throne. Oh, I love this technological, technological, whatever that word is, age. In my ripe old age, I often get confused with it, though. I mean, I like it, but I don't understand most about it. Do you, you know? I mean, I can use my, my watch, and I can use my iPhone and my iPad and all that sort of stuff, and I get confused quite regularly. I ring up one of my sons and say, can you help me? And I love preaching from my iPad. I turned to it about, I don't know, 10, 12 years, 10 years ago and started using it, and, and it's great. I love all the amazing things it does. And for quite a while, I was reading my Bible on here all the time, too. But just a number of months ago, I decided to go back to the real Bible, the one like the Apostle Paul used to use, you know, like that one. And I, and I still look up different translations in the, in the digital version so I can sort of compare translations, etc. but there's nothing like being able to get the book in your hand, nothing like feeling the Bible in your hand, and it's the real thing, isn't it? And I'm underlining things like crazy again like I used to in my Bible. And by holding this physical Bible, you kind of get to understand the great inspiration in the way it was put together. I mean, you know, you, you find out that the middle of your Bible, <laughs> Psalms. I mean, I know I cheated to put the ribbon in there, but that was so it opened quicker, you know. But I mean, right in the middle of your Bible, there's Psalms. The Bible isn't presented to us in chronological order. It was decided to the historical books and, and the law books and the historical books at the beginning and there's the poetical books in the middle and there's the major and minor prophets and then there's the gospels and the letters and all that sort of thing. You may not already know this, but I didn't know that until the other day either, but I looked up and found that there are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. And Psalm 117 is the very middle chapter. There are 594 chapters before Psalm 117 and 594 chapters after 117. And the other thing about Psalm 117 is it's the shortest book in the Bible, two verses. It just says, praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. That's a great psalm, isn't it? Two verses. And two chapters later, Psalm 119 is the longest book in the Bible. 176 verses. Will I start reading? No, I won't start reading. You didn't realize it was a math lesson this morning, did you? It's not quite over yet, so hang on. Or should I say, but wait, there's more. There are 31,102 verses in the Bible. And the very central verse of the Bible is right bang in the middle between Psalm 117 and Psalm 119. The central verse, the single verse, right in the middle of those 31,109 verses. Is that how many I said there were? 102 verses, I think I said first time around. I'm sure that was right, because I said it, so it must be right. It says this, verse 8, central verse in the Bible, Psalm 118, verse 8. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord 
than to put confidence in man. Some verses say it's better to take refuge in the Lord. Now, it doesn't say we shouldn't trust others at all, does it? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say we go around doubting everyone and we don't trust what they say and we mistrust everybody. I'd be an absolute mess, worse than I am now if I started doing that. But here, the, the central verse in the Bible tells us our primary trust, our foremost trust, our greatest trust is to be in the Lord. In troubled times, in good times, in times of hardship, times of plenty, in times of peace, in times of struggle, it's better to trust in the Lord. It's more favorable to trust in the Lord. It's more advantageous to us to trust in the Lord. It's more beneficial for us to put our trust in the Lord. It's better to trust in the Lord than in anything or anyone else. Why? Here's a clue. Psalm 145. I was amazed to my, thinking to myself this morning when I was going over this message, thinking, man, interesting, I've got lots of psalm verses in today. Psalm 145, verse 13. You can't get all your good theology from the psalms, by the way, but it's great. It's great because sometimes it's just someone complaining and pouring out their heart like people I've heard of. Psalm 145, verse 13. I don't know anyone personally, but listen to this. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. There's a great little word in there. That word all. The Lord's dominion endures through all generations. He is trustworthy in all he promises. He's faithful in all he does. That little word all is a great word. One of my favorites. It comes from the Hebrew meaning all. Isn't that cool? Let me ask you something this morning. Is there anything or anyone whose dominion endures, anyone else, sorry, whose dominion endures through all generations? Is there anyone else who without one lapse is trustworthy in all things? Is there anyone else who without one slip-up is faithful in all they do? No. So it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. There's a subtle difference between trusting someone and trusting in someone. I want you to get this this morning. I know, you know, this is, this is something you all know you could be telling me, but just thought I'd better remind you today. Because I don't come here very often and, you know, might be the last time too after today. But Parents, when you send your kids off to school, you trust the teachers, don't you? You trust them to look after your kids and to teach them well and they'll be okay there. But just because you trust them with that doesn't mean you give them all your bank accounts and your PIN numbers, and your, and your passwords, and your app on your phone for your banking, and let them do all your banking for you, do you? I mean, Ben is a trustworthy fellow down the front, isn't he? I mean, you know. I mean, well, <laughs> we won't take a vote. We'll take it as gospel. I mean, I'll trust, he's a, he's a builder, I'll trust him to come and build me a new house. 
I don't think I'd trust him to borrow my car, because I, you know, I've heard that he speeds around a bit, he's a bit dangerous, and it may not come back in the same shape it went out, so, you know, I don't know about that, but. So we do need to trust people, but our trust in people is specific and selective. You with me? But when we trust in someone, we are trusting them with everything. So my trust is to be in the Lord, right? Not in a particular political party. My trust isn't in a politician. My trust can't be in government. My trust can't be in the pastor. My trust can't be in the church. My trust can't be in my money. It can't be in my possessions. My trust can't even be in myself. Because all these things come and go. And everything else, after it's crumbled and fall, God will still be there. God is still on his throne. So we put our trust in him. Now, I don't know about you, but when we think of the throne of God, we often have those pictures that we come to mind from Revelation, which are wonderful pictures of angels surrounding the throne and people from every people group and every language worshiping God. And, and that's wonderful, and that's true, and it is, it's a wonderful thing to think of. And, and, but equally, I found that when we talk about the throne of God, a lot of people straight away immediately think of the throne of God being a place of judgment. Now get this right, one day it will be. But that event is sometime in the future. Once time on earth as we know it is over. I want to put it to you this morning that when we talk about God sitting on his throne in the times we are living, he's not sitting on his throne of judgment. His throne is a throne of grace. Oh, chapter and verse, brother? I'm glad you asked that question. Here's a great verse in Hebrews 4, verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with fear and trembling. No, sorry. His phone. Oh, really? His f- really? With confidence? Wow, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You only have to go back a few hundred years and you find in many countries of the world the king had absolute supreme authority over people's lives. It was his decision whether you lived or whether you died. And if you're accused of a crime, you appeared before the king. He had the power to show you mercy and pardon you or he decided to throw you in prison or torture you and, and kill you, whatever. So imagine the fear you would have as you approach the throne to hear your verdict declared, knowing you were guilty, and convinced the harshest possible sentence was to be handed to you, and very soon your life would be over. Even under New Old Testament law, if someone killed someone else, the punishment was death. You've heard it, a life for a life. But the tabernacle which stood, and in the tabernacle there stood an altar of burnt offering. And on that altar of burnt offering, animals were sacrificed. And before the sacrificial, sacrificial, sacrificial animal, sorry, my wife would have said then that she washed her tongue this morning and can't do anything with it, so I'm just borrowing that one. Before the sacrificial animal was burned on the altar, 
some of its blood was applied to the four corners of the altar, and those corners were called horns. Four corners, horns. Then the rest of the blood was poured out at the base of the altar. Why? For the forgiveness of sins. Now these four posts, or the horns, were symbols of help and refuge. So when a person was responsible for killing someone, there was just one exemption from the death penalty. And that was when the death was accidental. So a person who had killed someone accidentally could run to the tabernacle, grab hold of the horns of the altar, and because the blood had been shed and sacrifices had already been made on that altar, the accused's life was spared. He or she didn't have to face the seat of judgment anymore because by grasping the horns of the altar, they placed themselves under the protection of the saving helping grace of God, and punishment was abolished. What a wonderful forerunner of the cross. What a wonderful picture we have, where Jesus became the ultimate once and for always sacrifice. He took the punishment. We don't have to face judgment for our sin, but now we can approach the throne of grace with confidence so we might receive mercy and find grace to help us. In our time of need, I tell you, God is seated on his throne of grace today. But you know, I've discovered the devil loves to lie to us. One of his favorites is this. Whenever you mess up, make a mistake or do something you're ashamed of in some way, even if no one else knows about it, the lie sort of comes to you that that God will be angry with you. He's going to reject you. And from his throne, he will judge you. So the best thing you can do is to draw away from him. How wrong can I be and still be breathing? I mean, Jesus already took the punishment for our sin. Punishment is abolished. So when we sin, we don't run from the throne of judgment. We run towards the throne of grace. At the throne of grace, we receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Are we in need, a time of need in 2020? You bet we are. The global situation, our nation's problems are huge in themselves. And then we add our own personal stresses and and, and needs in our own lives. There's a lot going on in our lives. Too much to handle on our own. So we go with confidence to the throne of grace in our time of need. What greater time of need is there than when we've failed in some way? You know, the other sad thing that can happen when we've done something we're ashamed of is we stay away from church because we're scared people are going to judge us and reject us. How tragic. You know, our churches should be the greatest places of grace and acceptance on planet Earth. We should never have to run from church because it's a place of judgment. We should run to church as a place of grace. And as we came together this morning, and as we do, I know we haven't been able to all this year every week, but all around this world, as people come together like this and lift our voices and worship and in praise, we're not just singing some nice songs. There's great power in our corporate worship because His presence is with us. And we're lifting him up. And as we're lifting him up in worship, we're deliberately acknowledging that God has the first and highest place in our lives. He is exalted in our praise and worship. 
His throne is re-established at the very core of who we are. One of the team would come up as I close. When life seems to be falling apart, you're facing turmoil, or you've slipped up in some way in your life, it's not the time to stay away from church. And it's certainly not time to run from God, fearing his rejection and judgment. It's time to run to him. Great confidence to find grace in your time of need. Let's just bow our heads for a moment this morning before we sing again. I don't know a lot of you this morning. I know some people. I've known some for many years. You know, God knows each of our hearts today. That's so wonderful. That's not the scary thing. That's a wonderful thing. Holy Spirit, I just pray this morning that right now, we as your children, as we come before you, Holy Spirit, do a work in our hearts that as we've lifted you up and as we're going to again, and we by faith are deliberately saying, Lord, come and reestablish, re-acknowledge your lordship, your kingship, your ownership of my life. Be seated on the throne of my heart. But Lord, there be no fear in our hearts today. We come to you, Lord, because your throne is a throne of grace. And we throw ourselves upon your grace and your mercy. And Lord, if anyone here today is feeling in any way ashamed or any way just disappointed with themselves, that they've slipped up, they've done something that they really wish they had and someone else may not know, then Lord, today let your grace flow. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for forgiveness that flows in our hearts. Thank you. By faith we grab hold of the horns of the altar. Jesus has been sacrificed upon for us today that we might find freedom and liberty and mercy and grace in our time of need. We thank you for it today. In Jesus' name. Amen.